often joke that the very best handlers and trainers are almost bipolar because <laughs> one minute it's no here and the next minute it's good sit what a good dog you are what's going on ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another episode of alamo retriever clubs under the arc it is test week. It is almost game time, and I am pumped. How about you? Are you pumped? I am. I'm very pumped. I don't believe you. I'm pumped because it's supposed to be 70 degrees. That's no, what I'm pumped about. I was hoping for a mud bowl. I'm sorry. I was. Oh, hoping. it might still be a mud bowl. It's just not going to be a cold mud bowl. Uh, yeah. Knock on wood. I don't think we're supposed to have, <laughs> excuse me, I don't think we're supposed to have any rain. I'm not knocking on wood. I'm sorry. Um, I'm all about a good mud bowl. Pulling. Pulling dog trucks out of the mud is it's a it's a hobby of mine. It's a part-time hobby. Why are you laughing? Oh, I've I've been there. It's been me. Wasn't fun. <laughs> That's why you don't <laughs> drive off in the mud. <laughs> Just saying. Well, sometimes you can't help it, especially okay, if you're cruising along pretty good and it's wet, and then the person in front of you comes to a complete stop and you're like, What are you doing? Mm-hmm. How's That's that happened to me before? What are you doing? That's what I thought you said. Oh, the other thing, along with it being hunt test season, is we are counting down to turkey season. It is almost time for Texas turkeys, and I'm so excited. I am absolutely ready to just whoop upside the head of a big gobbler. Can you can you feel the the intensity and the excitement in, in, in my I can because it's all you've been talking about. It's not true. Okay, you've Don't, been talking about it a lot. It's not true. Do not be alarmed the fact that I happen to have turkey calls in my pocket right now. It's but it's it's I'm not obsessed or anything. But anyway, so so this week it's just gonna be Allie and I. We are going to be covering some of or one of her favorite topics, which is puppies. puppies. Um yeah, she is everything puppies, but we're gonna take you through the complex mind of the legend of legend retrievers and working dogs and how she gets her puppies going and how she gets them uh what's the word babe what's the term that you use free shaping free shaping that one i just learned that one about 15 minutes ago so go me but uh but yeah but before that we got as always a few announcement announcements good lord and some club news um this weekend it is here alamo retriever clubs hunt test season kicks off saturday morning in kyle texas for our HRC test. I hope that y'all will come out and see us. I will be cooking. Allie will be playing Marshall. And um, it's just going to be a good time, guys. Come out and hang out with us. Come see us. Come run your dog. We want to meet you. Yes. Come say hi. Tell yes. us if you've been listening to the podcast. It's not too late to slide into the DM. <laughs> was that sultry enough? It was great. I loved every <laughs> second of it. Oh, my goodness. But uh, so a couple of other tests. We want to give uh, some recognition to some of the other. Uh, retriever clubs in the greater San Antonio area, meaning pretty much Texas. Uh, so Bryan College Station is the entries are closed, but it would still behoove oneself if they wanted to go out and check it out and just see what a what a test is all about. So if you're in the Aggie Land area, man, go out and check out Bryan College Station. It's a solid club. It ought to be a really good time. Um, that is March first. March first. Okay, and then Brazosport Retriever Club is having a, an owner-handler qual on the 8th, it looks like, and then they'll be having a junior, a senior, and a master test uh, the weekend of the 8th, and that closes, entries for that close on the 26th. So you all still have a few more days if you all want to get in on that and um, and get entered. 
this one is different. AKC is different for those of you that do not know. You will go to Entry Express to enter an AKC test. Um, another Brazos port midweek. Uh, it's uh, that's going to be master only, right, babe? Yes. Yeah. So Brazos Port Trio Club is having a mid midweek master only. Uh, looks like it's lined up for March twelfth. That is still pending as of right now. It does not look like it's open, but keep your eyes on Entry Express just in case. Um, y'all want to enter that? Waterloo Retriever Club is having their test March fifteenth through the seventeenth. They will have an owner handler call that Friday. Uh, a double junior for those of you that want to try to get two baby dog passes on your dogs. They'll have a senior test and a master test, and that one closes on March 4th. And then Lost Pines is having a midweek master on March 19th. And then, of course, Alamo Retriever Club's AKC test. Um, and Owner Handler Qual uh, is the weekend of the 22nd of March. We'll have a master, a senior, and a single junior that is on the 24th. Since I screwed that up last week, the 24th, not the 25th. Look at you go. Look at me go. And then um, Heart of Texas Retriever Club up in Moody is having their test in, on March 30th. They'll be having a master, senior, and junior. Um, so, again, just keep your uh, keep y'all's eyes open and be looking and checking in on Entry Express for, uh, for when those tests open and close and so forth. And, man, I hope to see you guys down the road. Yeah, a couple of other quick announcements. Um, the Brazos Valley Kennel Club is going to be having a dog show in Navasota, March 15th through 17th. Miss Molly and I are going to be doing some rally that weekend. I'm Molly. super excited. Um, <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> uh, Heart of Texas Dog Owners Group is having our Try It Day, April the 20th in Giddings. We'll offer a breakdown of rules and an opportunity to bring your dog or dogs and try your hand at confirmation, rally, nose work, weight pull, and retriever hunt tests. Um, the event will begin at 10 a.m. with a presentation of the rules and mechanics, mechanics of each sport. Um, we are a UKC club, but we will discuss AKC events and differences as well. And once you understand the rules, you and your pup get to try it out. We're going to have opportunities at each station ranging from novice, experience, advanced, so you can really see what your dog is capable of. Um, entrance is $30 for the first dog, $15 for each additional dog. Registration closes April the 15th. You must be pre-registered if you want to attend. Um, to register, go to the Heart of Texas Dog Owners Group Facebook page. Uh, find Try It Day event and click on the registration link. And that's the Heart of Texas Dog Owners Group, also known as Hot Dog. Um, in other news, the Heart of Texas Labrador Club, which is different, uh, is hosting the Labrador Palooza May 11th of 2024 at the Blue Bonnet Bunk and Biscuit in Selma. They're going to have an eye clinic offering two different kinds of eye exams, a heart clinic and a bee confirmation match. And finally, last but not least, we have the Aggieland Delta Waterfowl Banquet, April 26th at the Legends Event Center in Bryan. For tickets, you can contact AggielandDeltaWaterfowl at gmail.com. For sure. And uh, just to add on to that, uh, Chris Lamb, um, I've been talking back and forth with him about the uh, Delta Waterfowl Banquet, and he is um, helping to gather sponsors to get sponsorship tables. So if any of y'all Maybe you want to get, uh, you know, if you have a business or something, you want to get a group together, reach out to Chris and um, and get your table book. They've got different pricing for different tables. There's going to be a raffle. There'll be a silent auction, a live auction. It is a great, great time. And it's for the ducks. If you don't care about ducks, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. 
because Delta Waterfowl loves the ducks. And who doesn't care about the ducks? I don't know. Non-duck hunters. But anyway, so like I said, this evening, the legend that is Legend Retrievers is going to spread some of her knowledge on us um, about puppies. And, you know, everybody's got their methods. Everybody's got their their ways, their tips, their tricks. But, uh, you know, watching Allie with her puppies and how she interacts with them and what they turn into. You know, my puppy Chica is uh, is a product of of how of Allie's um, talents, if you will. And Chica is a very, very intelligent young dog. I think they're, what are they, seven months old now, roughly. And I have got to believe after seeing how Allie interacted with her and her litter as itty bitty puppies compared to what she or going into what she is now versus other puppies that I've seen. It's to me, it's been, it's very impressive and it's something to behold. And I hope you guys are able to take something from this. So, I mean, let's just start from the top. I mean, I guess when you're first getting going with youngsters, you want to, there's a smattering of things that you want to show them, but I mean, let's go to the crate. Talk to us about crate training. Well, first I want to touch on my experience a little bit. So folks know why, why it is that I'm so passionate about this. Um, I got my start as a retriever trainer and, um, as Luke Core said it, I was a student of the game. I was very fortunate that lots of people in the industry, I'd say took pity on me (laughs) (laughs) and were nice enough to share their knowledge and let me come out and stalk them and stand behind them for extended periods of time while they train dogs and answer all my questions. (laughs) Um, and then, um, I kind of developed some health problems that made it difficult for me to be in the field as frequently as I needed to be if I was going to really chase hunt test titles. And so a new fascination was born with service dogs. And being in the amazing Aggieland, um, we have a ton of student-run service dog training organizations here. And I have been fortunate enough to hire several young women from that program to work for me as kennel techs over the years. And one in particular who we're hoping to have on the podcast at a later date uh, went off to complete a service dog training internship. And whenever she got back, she taught me, I can't say everything she knows because there's still a whole lot in her brain that I haven't accessed yet. But um, she has has taught me a vast majority, I'd say, maybe of her knowledge. Um, and my real passion for the adolescent puppy stage was born because I learned that the first six months of life for a dog are about the equivalent of the first 18 years of life for a human, which is fascinating. Yeah. And it also feels like pressure <laughs> because it means that we have a lot to accomplish in those first six months of life and how we do it. And if we do it right, is going to really shape who that puppy becomes as an adult and who they are for the rest of their life. So you mentioned crate training. Mm-hmm. Um, so you asked me not to go into little bitty puppies, but I will just briefly touch on this. Um, as uh, a breeder, I condition my puppies to alfalfa pellets and keep uh, potty trays in there um, and teach them to keep hard surfaces clean and seek out the smell of grass because that's just all alfalfa, alfalfa pellets is, is compressed grass. 
um, to go to the bathroom in. And so puppies who are raised in this environment have a tendency to be ready for crate training night one whenever they go home from the breeder because they have a solid understanding of keeping their space clean and the appropriate texture to go to the bathroom on. So Whenever I bring a puppy home, there's a couple things that I do. Number one, no blankets, towels, or bedding inside the crate because puppies are textural. If you have things inside of the crate that are soft, which kind of mimics the feeling of grass or those alfalfa pellets under their feet, then it feels like this is an appropriate place to go to the bathroom. Um, hard floor. Um, again, we want them to understand, have a solid understanding of that's a, a spot to keep clean. Um, for the first month or so, I feed my puppy every meal off the floor of his crate. And what that looks like is every time it's time to go in the kennel, I get a handful or a cup or half a cup or however much it's supposed to be and toss it in the crate. And you hear this and the puppy's like, oh, my gosh, there's good stuff happening in there. And so you're building the picture because dogs learning pictures, you're building the picture of your puppy running into the crate of his own free will out of excitement and enjoyment, not the picture of being shoved into the crate while he's kicking and screaming and fighting and refusing to go in. This serves a couple purposes. Number one, uh, it gives them a good reason to go into the crate. Number two, if your bed is also your food bowl, you are even more motivated to not go to the bathroom in there right? Um, so this continues at least for the first month. Um, it's also super important um, that puppies have adequate rest. Uh, a lot of folks want to bring the puppy out and let it follow them wherever they go and participate with them in every single thing that they do. And this can actually produce over-socialization and it will produce a dog that doesn't have the ability to relax and calm down and thinks that it needs to engage with everything that's happening throughout the day um, because, you know, it doesn't have an off switch. So adequate rest is important not only for its temperament and um, social skills, but it's also important for its body growth. Um, the majority of the physical growth that a, a dog is, is going to do is going to be in that first six months of life. And so having plenty of time to lay down in the kennel take a nap, be sight and sound separated from what's going on in the house, which actually I got to go back to crate training on that. Um, sight and sound separate your crate. You do not want your crate in the living room. Um, you wouldn't put your baby, your newborn baby to sleep in the middle of the living room if you had two and three-year-olds running around screaming and throwing army guys at each other, right? You put the baby in its own room um, with a, a white noise machine, with the door closed, you want to do the same thing with your puppy. I am not a fan of laundry rooms um, for puppies. Uh, that's a really common place that a lot of people like to put their crates. And that's because um, laundry rooms are typically connected to garages. And so when you hit that garage door opener, you're projecting for the puppy that you have arrived home before you walk in the door. And then they start barking. And once they associate um, barking with being let out of the crate because you typically let them out while they're barking. The next thing you know, they're going to start barking to be let out of the crate. Um, it's ideal to sight and sound separate them. And that means a guest bedroom, the master bedroom closet, um, spaces like that. And then I like to play the radio, um, during the day for my puppies. So they're just listening to people's voices and things like that. Um, and then at night, I will just change that radio station a couple of degrees over 
um, so that they're listening to just static. And this makes it so that if you get up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water, go to the bathroom, um, that your dog's not like, oh my gosh, I heard you. You're moving around. It's time to get up. Let's go. Let's go play. Um, for some puppies, I suggest that you get up uh, once or twice throughout the night and prompt them to go to the bathroom. Um, for other puppies, depending on what their breeder potty conditioning look like, you may not even need to do that. Um, we never let the puppy out of the crate when it's barking, even if it's time to get up and go outside because dogs learn in pictures. If I open the door and walk in while you're barking, the dog is going to start associating barking with being let out of the crate. So I want to kind of go back for a second. You, you'd mentioned laundry rooms and I'm not a fan of them either, but I know that it it's practiced, you know, and I, I, I vaguely remember getting a dog in who spent a lot of her childhood her adolescence or whatever you want to call it, her puppyhood in a laundry room, mm. you know, client told us very plainly. And when he told us that, you know, you just kind of cut your eyes at me and I just, you know, I let it go. And, um, you know, what, what are some of the dangers there? Not dangers like the physical dangers. I mean, maybe there are some of those too, but. Well, she ate half the wall in their laundry room. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, mm -hmm. there is that. She did eat the drywall. She did eat mm -hmm. the drywall. But, you know, what, because I, again, I know that people, people will do that, you know, but why explain why that's a no, no. Yeah. So that particular dog was a prime example of why we don't want to do that. She was a um, psycho. <laughs> Not, I wouldn't call her a psycho. She shut down really easily. And the the reason for that is that anytime she got in trouble, she did something she wasn't supposed to do. Instead of disciplining her and teaching her, you're not allowed to chew on that. But here, here's something that you are allowed to chew on. They just locked her in the laundry room. And so she never learned how to deal with someone being disappointed in her. She never learned how to deal with the correction. Um, all she knew was being in the laundry room. And so when it came time to try to teach her obedience, um, she shut down and it really hurt her feelings um, because that's a really important aspect of puppy adolescence is, you know, understanding um, a non-emotional correction. So um, and a good example of a non-emotional correction, because so much of raising puppies equates to raising children. If my son comes home from school and he's gotten in trouble and I say, you're such a screw up. I can't believe you did that. How come you never learn from these things? What's wrong with you? He's going to be heartbroken, right? That really breaks down our relationship. And why would he want to entrust anything in me going forward? Versus if I say, hey, you didn't get the project done. Yeah. I told you that if you didn't complete the project by Friday, you weren't going to the sleepover this weekend and you didn't get it done. So I'm sorry you don't get to go. That's a non-emotional correction, cause and effect. Um, and that's really the ideal way to raise our puppies, but it's the ideal way to communicate with our dogs as adults also is non-emotional corrections. They yeah. can feel it whenever you get frustrated or angry. Um, and they're going to disengage with you really fast. Right. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't have emotion in your voice, because I often joke that the very best handlers and trainers are almost bipolar, because <laughs> one minute it's, no, here, and the next minute it's, 
good sit what a good dog you are so you really have to have they um dogs are not a verbal species like humans are and and as humans we have a tendency because we're primarily verbal to think that they are also when they're really not it's it's body language cues and it's the tone of your voice that they're taking much more than anything else and so um you can get so much out of a dog if you, and a puppy especially, if you're really expressive in your tone and really let them know what you're thinking and how they're feeling. Um, I remember there was one time that um, somebody came out to train at Mr. Dave's mm-hmm. and I said, oh yeah, I'm I'm taking my puppies on a walk around the pond. Um, it's their first time off lead. And this person, I don't remember specifically what they said, but they they were kind of balking at me to think that I had like five puppies and that, you know, at four months old and that they were all going to come back to me off lead. And then they did. And this person was like, how did you do that? And, um, a big part of that was, you know, they ended up on the other side of the pond and they were sniffing something that they were really interested. And I said, here, puppy, 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 you know, made my voice really exciting. And they turned and booked it back to me. And I got down on the ground, opened my arms big and wide. That's good puppies. What good puppies you are. Thank you for coming back. I'm so proud of you. So just giving that positive reinforcement, you know, um, I had a client, a private lesson today that we talked about this. She said that um, she gets into this habit that a lot of us have gotten into, which is the dog took off and ran away from her and she was, no, here, no, here, no, here. And then the dog finally came back and she was mad and she reprimanded the dog. And then the dog was confused. Well, did I do what you wanted me to do or did I not do what you wanted me to do? And she realized what she had done immediately and corrected and started giving the dog some positive reinforcement. Um, but yeah, tone, it's all about tone. Yeah. From the most tone deaf person, you know, yours truly right here. You know, it's funny though. Cause, um, you're talking about getting the excitement in your voice and everything. Chris Ray and I had a conversation about this one time. I was real monotone and he was like, you know, Zach, it's, it's okay to, uh, have a little emotion in your voice, you know? I was like, I do have emotion in my voice. And he was like, no, it's okay to like relay that to the dog. I was like, oh, gotcha. Okay. He said, you have to like, you, you can't really have any shame in this game. So for you men, for you men that are listening to this, you stoic, deep voiced men um, that cannot picture yourself basically imitating what Allie just did, just freaking do it. <laughs> Get off your high horses, man. Mikey, shout out Mikey. I love you. But you, buddy, come on now. Rips, rips a soft dog, man. You gotta love him. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta coax him in there, man. Slide into his DMs, his emotional DMs, and <laughs> and love on him a little bit. I'm calling you out, buddy. Um, I'm sure I'll get a text message about that when he hears this. But anyway, um, but a good example is you know you and um, myself and and Gracie, a good friend of ours, uh, Gracie uh, yeah. Hirsch, Gracie Kennedy, Gracie Hirsch, Hirsch. Yep. of uh, Texas Duck Chasers. We were at a hunt test one time. And I don't remember how this topic came up, probably, probably because at that time I was still pretty monotone and I, we were just kind of talking back and forth and Gracie was like, dude, like just let go of all that, that masculinity and that stoic way. She's like, when my dog, when my baby dogs get to a mark, she's like, we throw a freaking party 
and Gracie was just like throwing her arms up and jumping up and down and and they she has no shame. Her and Allie both like when when their puppies succeed, they let them know that they succeed. And I think that's big. I've seen the proof in that. And you know, Chris talked last week about how he's six foot four, you know, three hundred pounds. You know, I'm only right at six foot five eleven seven eight. It depends on who's measuring what boots I'm wearing, and about two fifty. And you know, what used to be is like you know, good dog here is now it's just like good, you know. And like I was doing it with Chica today, and yesterday I was one of those days. It was a flipping Monday. Wasn't having any of it. Uh, get Chica out. We're working, and she could just tell that I'd had a Monday. And she was reading me like a book, you know what I'm saying? And I realized that and I started, um, I caught myself. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit too, being a little bit too stoked with it right now. So, you know, kind of take a, take a breath, soften, change the tone of your voice instantly. Y'all she's like, Oh, okay. We're cool. You know, dad, dad's all right. Okay. Gotcha. And it was a totally different session from then on. So you can't have any shame in this game, you know, shout out, shout out Gracie for uh for that display of awesomeness awesomeness and excitement that you showed me at that hunt test that time but um anywho on that same note go ahead an observation that i've made before is um i had a dog that came to me for an obedience touch-up and he'd been trained at another kennel the other kennel was really um strong on rules-based training so the rule was when you're on place, there is absolutely no reason to ever get off. And so they would bounce tennis balls past this dog, you know, do a lot of distractions. And ultimately what they produced was a dog who was a t- terrified of tennis balls. Yeah. Um, there was no relationship. It was avoidance behavior. He wouldn't make eye contact with you. He would drop his head. Um, he would just be sulky anytime that he was in in a control position because he came to associate being under control or being in control of a, or a human being in control of him, um, as not being fun, you know, not being rewarding at all. And one of the things I found with him was if I, if I gave him positive reinforcement, like good, nothing. If I smiled at him while I gave him positive reinforcement, that changed everything. Mm -hmm. And a smile is, is submission. Um, but even when he couldn't see my face, when you smile while you're talking, it changes the sound of your words. And and animals in particular, because they are so tone-driven, can actually pick up on that. And you'd be surprised that whenever I smile while I'm talking to a dog, you can hear it now, I'm sure, in my voice, yeah. it completely changes things. And then the dog's like, oh, okay, she's happy with me. This is fun. Mm-hmm. And that dog really turned it around. Just with the introduction of smile. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing what dogs can pick up on. You know, it's like, oh, that dog can't tell that you're smiling at them. Yes, they can. We have a red dog here named Ruby that will smile back at you. <laughs> they can absolutely pick up on it. You know, I'm reminded of um, a really, really good buddy of mine. Um, he's he's a, I mean, dude's a Viking. His ancestry dates back. I mean, he he's just a straight up Viking. And he's a big mountain of a man, military guy. He's very stoic. And he's, he's kind of monotone, but when we would train and when Drake, his dog would do something, you know, right. Or when he would succeed, Donnie wouldn't really get excitement in his voice, but good boy would come out like B O I good boy. And Drake would key in on that. Oi. 
He was like, oh, I did it. And he would just get fired up. And, yeah. you know, so that's like the things that they key in, key in on that lets them know that they're on the right track. Figure it out. Read your dogs. And this goes back to what we were talking to Rody and Kristen about a couple of weeks ago. It just goes back to relationship. Mm-hmm. Do you have that relationship with your dog? Can you read them? Can they read you? I guarantee you they can read you. Are you reading them? So pay attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I touched just a second ago on rules-based training versus relationship-based training. And, you know, if you're doing training right, this is a language that you're building with your dog. Mm -hmm. So rules-based training, I kind of talked a little bit about it a second ago. Um, You know, that's every time the doorbell rings, you are to get on place and you are to not get off under any circumstance. Well, in the real world, we both know that things happen, you know, the situation's not going to be the same every time. So if mom is home alone with the dog and the doorbell rings and there's a really aggressive person at the door, a dog who's been rules-based trained is going to stand there prancing on their place bed going, oh my gosh, mom seems uncomfortable. I don't, I don't like it. I don't feel good about this. I don't know what to do, but I'm not supposed to get off. I've been told that no matter what happens, I never get off of place. And so that dog is not going to come over and be protective and instinctively intervene because it has been told these are the rules. You follow them strictly. Right. Relationship-based training says, um, or communication-based training says we live in a world where things are going to be different every time. So if every time before an uh, invited guest comes over, I put my dog on a place bed 10 minutes before they arrive through consistency and repetition, my dog learns that if the doorbell rings and I'm on my place bed, that means that this person is invited. They've been TSA pre-checked by my owner. There is no need for me to go and intervene with them walking through the door mm-hmm. versus if the doorbell rings and I'm not on my place, this means this person is not invited and I have carte blanche to bark. I'm going to walk over with my mom and she opens the door. And if it's a cute little Girl Scout selling cookies, she can send me to my place while she walks over and gets her wallet and pays the cute Girl Scout versus if it's a very aggressive solicitor that's making my mom uncomfortable. My mom wants me standing there in the doorway making my presence known. Yeah. So relationship-based training has a lot of benefits because you have the ability to communicate with your dog. But it's not just top to bottom communication. It's also bottom to top communication. A prime example of this would be um, I was at the park. Um, I'm throwing a tennis ball for a client dog and like eight kids just roll up on me hot. Oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I want to throw the tennis ball. Can I throw the tennis ball? And the dog swings into heel and looks up at me with these big wide eyes like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? And so I politely explained to the kids, you know, I don't think my dog is really into this right now. He's a little bit nervous. Tell you what, why don't you guys go play? If it seems like he's ready to retrieve for you, I'll let you know and call you back. And they all dissipate. And my dog and I resume throwing the ball with each other and everything is great and fine. So when you have that language and relationship, you have a dog who's not afraid to communicate to you hey, I don't know what to do with myself right now. I don't feel comfortable in this situation. I'm confused. I'm unsure, you know, whatever right. the situation may be. I would have just hauled ass for the house. <laughs> if you were the dog or the Both. trainer. If, okay, they're gone, dog. Run. Let's go. Come on. Come on, <laughs> Rover. Let's get back to the house. <laughs> run Good away Lord. from the scary yes, children. Run, around, run away from the kids. Well, let's back up. You're talking about chunking tennis balls. One of 
my favorite parts of uh, puppy stuff, as I call it, because I don't have the vocabulary, is retriever drive building. Now, we've had this conversation at length, retriever drive building versus prey drive. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad you asked there that is, question. There is a difference, ladies and gentlemen, if you disagree. Slide into his DMs. Let's have a podcast and we'll talk about it. <laughs> there is a difference in retriever drive building and prey drive. Talk to us about that, honey. So retriever drive is the mechanics of the retrieve. Go out there, get it, bring it back. Go out there, get it, bring it back. Prey drive is this is a prey animal that's running away from me. And my instinct is to capture it ultimately with the goal of consuming it, killing it, consuming it. That's instincts basically is what she's describing. Yes, definitely. Um, And there's also a difference between an instinct driven dog and a thought driven dog. And we can come back to that in a little bit if you want to. Sure. Um, So a lot of people really try to tap into prey drive and they'll Mm -hmm. do this with um, pigeons with clipped wings and and things of that nature. And it's been my experience that our dogs don't really need that. Labradors in general don't really need that. The the birdiness and feather drive has been bred into them for generation after generation after generation. You don't need to put a prey animal in front of them to produce interest in that. Um, and the, the problem comes in that you can make them so nuts about it that then you end up with a fire-breathing dragon that doesn't handle hunting or hunt test or any of it well because they go into instinct mode and they're no longer in yeah. thought-driven mode, number one. Number two, if that um, puppy carries a bird back under your truck and you can't get to him and he rips it open and figures out that there's meat in there, we can never take that information away from him. Right. He then knows that if he wants to chomp on that bird, it is food. So I I personally do not introduce uh, live birds to puppies. I will introduce feathers. I'll introduce wings. Um, I, I love finding a small duck <laughs> and um, having it mostly frozen. So the body's frozen. Um, and just tossing around and playing with it and getting a dog comfortable putting their mouth on it, having the feel of feathers in their mouth. Um, even a frozen pigeon would be training pigeon would be just fine because it's frozen and it would be very, very difficult for that dog to get a bite of it and figure out that there's meat in there. Yeah. To me, what has much more value is teaching the mechanics of the retrieve. Go out there, get it, bring it back. Go out there, get it, bring it back. Um, there's a couple of key points here that can can ensure that we're doing it right. Um, number one, whatever your drive building toy is, whether that's a tennis ball, um, a stuffed duck, a baby bumper, whatever, that item only comes out whenever you are doing drive building with your dog. It is not a free toy that they play with anytime that they want. It doesn't sit in the toy box or on the living room floor. It only comes out whenever you guys are working together. And we put it up when the dog is at the peak of excitement. So we do not throw the item until puppy is tired and bored because this builds the picture of the retrieve being tiresome and boring. We always put it up when the puppy is having a great time so that the next time that it comes out, they go, oh my gosh, there's that thing that I love. I am a hardcore believer that we do not steady puppies. You should, uh, an adolescent puppy, which is under six months of age, does not have the 
uh, developmental capabilities to understand steadiness. They, they don't have the ability to understand the contradiction of control while also being genuine and authentic at the same time. Um, this is a concept that they can begin to understand after six months of age, um, but it will break down your retriever drive building if you ask a puppy to be steady of its own fruition before six months of age. So now, you can say you can definitely shut one down by trying to steady one that young. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, holding your puppy back for a couple seconds. Well, yeah, that's to make sure they see it. Yeah. 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 And it's... and. When you hold them back and they're fighting against you, that's building even more drive. Right. Um, now, some puppies, you know, I wouldn't want to do that with a puppy and, until they were a little bit older and and I knew that their drive was pretty much through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, ever, ever ask a puppy to sit and be truly independently steady for me to throw something. Right. Um, in fact, I don't I don't want a dog to be steady until after it's force fetched. Right. I, I teach steadiness in conjunction with force fetch personally. Right. Um, so I typically will get down on the ground with the puppy and I often will start in the living room because it's an enclosed space and the puppy can't really run off anywhere. And, um, I will take the item and bop him in the face with it and move it around a little bit and get them all excited and worked up and then make sure that they can see me throw it and toss it. A lot of people get caught up in, you know, they want to immediately transition into the backyard and throw it as far as they possibly can. And maybe the puppy can get two retrieves in before it's like, dude, I'm exhausted. That's not an effective retriever drive building drill. Um, An effective drill is the mechanics. Go out there, get it, bring it back. Go out there, get it, bring it back. You will get much more out of a session of five or six correct retrieves in the living room than you will out of two or three really far throws that maybe the puppy gets it three quarters of the way back. Maybe it doesn't. Right. Um, When the puppy brings the item back, I'm usually on the ground. I open my arms big and wide so that the puppy can see where they're to bring it to. And this is really important. You do not take the item out of the puppy's mouth right away. Thank you. If you do, this creates keep away. They're not going to want to bring it back to you. Think about it like a scavenger hunt. If I just went out and found this really awesome thing and I bring it back to show you and you immediately snatch it from me and say, oh, great job. Now this is mine. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to want to bring my scavenger hunt items back to you anymore. But if you celebrate me and tell me what a great job I did and then eventually say, "Okay, I'm going to take this now so that you can go get another one. That feels like a team relationship. And I am prepared to do that with you all day long. Absolutely. Let's let's back up just a bit um, to the birds, because I'm sure eyes were rolling (laughs) uh, and blood pressure was up for some on the whole. um, You don't need to show your puppies live birds. We're not saying don't ever show your puppy or your young dog a live bird. That's not what we're saying necessarily, but your timing on that could be better. In my opinion, I think there's a right time and there's a wrong time. Every puppy is different. Okay. So Chica and Eris, these two, um, these two puppies that we have, they're litter mates. Both of them have outstanding retriever drive, outstanding retriever drive. They also have a butt ton of prey drive. Now, I don't remember exactly what we used. It was a, it was a bird wing of some sort in we used it once or twice. They've got the prey drive. 
And I don't think we've gone back to it. Mm-mm. It has been retriever drive. Well, now, they got so excited that they're at the end. Yeah, they we, were getting ready to rip that bird apart. Yeah, and we, not because they were shredding it, but they were just so excited. So amped, and they were yes. throwing it up in the air. Yeah, exactly. So for me, if if I'm going to, if I've got a puppy who maybe lacks interest or lacks incentive, I then, and only then, you know, if they, if they show that they want to give chase, okay. But they just kind of go out there and maybe they're blinking an object or something like that. Now I'm talking an older puppy, you know, pushing five, six months old, four months youngest. Now this is just me speaking from my personal experiences as a, as a trainer. Then and only then will I go and pull a, a pigeon out of the coop and shackle it, meaning contain its wings and put it in front of that puppy. And in my experience, eight or nine times out of 10, that will unlock those doors for those puppies and instinct kicks in, then they will give chase. And what you're looking at there is prey drive. Then you can take that pigeon, pick it up, toss it a couple of times, and you're going to see the result. Usually puppy's going to run out there and snatch it up. I will do this with a check cord on this puppy to make sure that I can at least get the bird back. I'm not saying I'm reeling that puppy. I'm not jerking that puppy back to me because that is a form of pressure that that puppy's not ready for. But it does allow me to at least keep that puppy in one place. What I like to do is just step on the cord, approach the puppy, put my hands on it. Good, good dog. Good. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Good. And then I will gently remove the bird. But that is the only time that I will put a live bird in front of a an under six-month-old puppy. That's just me personally. There's different ways to do it, but that's always been the method that's worked for me. I've seen a lot of trainers with confirmation dogs. Mm-hmm that don't have the natural retriever drive that yeah. a field bred dog does. That's the first thing they'll go to is they'll try to tap into the prey drive. And what can happen sometimes is then the dog will blink bumpers mm-hmm. and really isn't interested in retrieving at all. The only thing it wants to do is get the prey and, and carry it under the truck or, yeah. or run away from you with it. And once that happens, it is very difficult if possible to fix that. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing you mentioned, and I don't think I went in detail on this long enough, is when the dog comes back, we talked about not immediately taking it out of their mouth, but I pet on them and love them. And, you know, if they try to jet off from me, I'm going to grab them by the collar, grab them by the body and bring them back so that it doesn't feel like control. Um, But I'm rubbing all over them. And you know, before they spit it on the ground, I will take the item out of their mouth, but I'm going to give them at least 15 to 30 seconds of just getting rubbed on and loved on and talked to and told what a good dog they are. And most of the time with my puppies, when we go into force fetch, they're already delivering to hand through positive reinforcement because I've never tried to snatch something out of their mouth um, or or told them to drop it on the ground. This is another thing that a mistake I think that people make is that they will try to teach their dogs to spit things on the ground. We don't want that. That isn't, that is not the goal. Um, and so then whenever we transition into force fetch, it looks like, you know, it goes from you coming over and, and receiving pets and eventually me taking it out of your mouth to you swinging into heel and sitting and, and getting pets. And then I eventually take it out of your mouth. So it just makes for a much um, smoother transition into force fetch whenever retriever drive building has been done correctly. Right. You know, and Sheik is a great example. She has never had anything 
well, anything that she was allowed to play with snatched from her mouth. There's been a, a flip-flop or two taken away from her, but, uh, you know, she is, she's seven months. She has not gone through force fetch. Um, any, anything to do with force fetch or formal fetch, um, no hold conditioning or anything like that, but because she was allowed to hold and carry things as a, and rewarded and rewarded for it as a, as a youngster, she will, she will spin in and deliver. Now I'm not necessarily expecting that of her. She has been taught to finish. She has been taught how to spin in at heel. Yes. But if she's just, you know, we always give her a couple of bumpers at the end of a session. She's doing what she's been trained to do by spinning in, but that hold of hers, that's free shaping. That's what you've been doing is free shaping. Yeah. Y'all told y'all, but, um, <laughs> but you know, she is, she's holding that bumper or Kong or whatever it is she's got because she was allowed to do that. She's never been corrected for having an appropriate item in her mouth, you know? So it's just, it's food for thoughts, you know, it, it's, it's something to think about. And I know that it's not something that I ever necessarily, now, obviously I've never, I've always allowed my puppies to um, carry appropriate items around, whether it be toys, you know, this and that. And Barbara Maines would applaud you for this because she's very big on that. And that's how you get thieving red dogs named Chopper um, by allowing them to just carry whatever and not to take anything out of their mouth. But Barbara would definitely applaud you for this because she was a big advocate of that, of that practice. And um, Lloyd and I talked a little bit about this on the, uh, the Red Dirt Ranchito episode, um, that that's why Chopper is such a thief because and Gus and everybody else, but Barbara would allow Chopper to, you want, you want that? Okay. Now, obviously if he's running off with a flip flop, a flip flop or something, you know, we're going to, we're going to do something about that. But, but otherwise, you know, let them. If you want to hold something in your mouth, go for it. Yeah. Their mouth is their hands guys. That's, that's what they use. That's, that's how they feel the world. That's how they, that's, that's, that's just what they use. That is their tool. We have 10 fingers and two hands and that's how we feel the world. And that's, that's how we grasp things. A, a retriever's mouth or a dog's mouth is how they do that. So let, let them use it. Let them see what that, what that tool at the end of their face is for and just give them that shot. Don't, don't reprimand them for, for using that. Now, again, clothing items are off limits, <laughs> but. <laughs> so if a dog picks up again, talking about free shaping, if yeah. a dog picks up something that they're not supposed to have, I'll call them over to me here. Pop, 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 pop. Good. Thank you. So I use thank you as a positive reinforcer whenever, um, you know, if I've asked a dog to leave it or um, that sort of thing. Um, thank you is not a no, is, is not equivalent to good dog, but it is in tone more than anything else, a positive reinforcer that you did something right. Um so they bring the item back to me. Thank you. I take it out of their mouth. And then I'm going to walk over to the toy box. We keep a pile of toys on our place bed. Um, I'm going to walk over there and grab a bone or a stuffed animal or anything that they're allowed to play with. And I'm going to kind of shake it in their face and say, look, you're not supposed to have that, but you can have this and immediately replace that item with something that they are allowed to play with. Well, we are definitely moving out of order this evening, but it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm enjoying every minute of it. Well, let's uh, let's kind of go back, or maybe I don't know. 
let's just see where the night takes us. But let's go into some of the commands. You know, your basic commands when you're when you're working with a puppy. Um, I know, you know, you use place, sit, down. Um, and uh, I know you love this word, but a smattering of others. So just <laughs> those three, those three basic puppy commands, if you will, um, you know, take us through that. And um, excuse me, Molly, you know, building that that positive association with working for you. Yeah. So um, I like to put a slip lead on puppies starting at about 10 or 11 weeks of age. Um, I definitely clicker condition puppies. And if you're if you're not sure how to do that, um, the basic method is you provide high value treats. Uh, you just leave your hand open. And the whole time that the dog is eating or puppy is eating the treats. Um, thanks, Molly. Bless you. <laughs> the whole time that the puppy is eating the treats, you're clicking away. So they start to associate food with the clicker. The clicker becomes your marker. So every time that the puppy produces a desired behavior, you're clicking right at that moment. And this just helps them understand faster what it is that they're being rewarded for. Um, the ideal time to correct an unwanted behavior in a dog is between zero and 1.5 seconds. So if more than 1.5 seconds has more than 1.5 seconds has passed the dog has no idea what it has done wrong or what it has done right so um especially when we're at a distance from the dog you know half a second makes a huge difference in it understanding um what it is specifically that it's getting the treat for so um, I start with clickers with all of my dogs. I eventually phase it out. A lot of people prefer to use the marker of yes instead of a clicker. Um, that's just personal preference, but I would recommend for everybody to have a marker word. It just gives your puppy the ability to learn faster and understand what it is you want faster. Um, I also am a big proponent of training with food. Um, eventually we phase that out, um, but it just helps your dog and puppy to understand what it is that you want more quickly. Um, so I'll start out with place um, and I'll use a, a pet cot or a pillow bed. Place is a gross motor skills command. Um, all, all you have to do is put all four feet on the bed. Very simple. Um, as soon as all four feet go on, they get a click and they receive treats and then they get told free and they immediately get to come off. Um, then we do the same thing with sit and then we eventually do the same thing with down. I typically don't teach down right away because it is a, um, a submissive position. Um, and so if you teach it too young, some puppies will believe it's interesting. So, um, Dogs, dogs relate mindset um, a lot of times to behavior. So if I put a lot of focus and energy on, on having my dog down or stay at too young of an age, which both of those are control commands, um, my puppy, puppy can start to associate working for me and being under control as being negative um, and as being submissive. And, you know, the only way she wants to engage with me is if I'm submissive. So I better just lay down over here and drop my head and be in a down because that's the only way that I get the treats and she rewards me. And we don't want our puppy to have that experience. So um, I practice sit and place and eventually down. Um, and the beauty of this is that it builds the picture of being on the leash and working with and for you as being super fun. Um, it helps to build the picture of your dog 
feeling really confident, like, man, I am so good at this. And so when the leash comes on, they get super excited. Um, It also makes it so much easier to teach heal whenever the time comes because the puppy already has a positive association with the leash. Well, let's uh, let's go over that one command, that that one command, that four letter that I despise that when neither one of us use that so many people will tell their dog and that's stay. Mm-hmm. And don't ask me why that's such a pet peeve of mine, but I just can't stand the word stay. When I tell a dog to sit, by God, that means to sit. But before we do that, hang on, I just thought of something. So here's the thing about place for you duck hunters. And I'm sure that there's a lot of y'all that know this, but I'm hoping that there's a few of y'all that don't. And I know a lot of guys will double this uh, with kennel and that, and that's fine to each their own. But if you teach place or if you don't teach place and you're like, oh, I think I'll give that a shot or I may teach my next one place for you guys that hunt in the timber. Or if you're always, if you're always in the water, if you, if you stay wet and you're, you're standing in the water and you've got your dog up on a marsh stand, or if he's in a mow marsh, or again, a timber stand, if he's on a boat stand, I don't care. Place can save you. A lot of time in the timber, our dogs may be remote. You know, there may be just enough room for me and uh, for me and a buddy to, to bury our faces into that cypress or that oak tree, but there's really nowhere to put the dog. And we want the dog up and out of the water. So we're going to hang that dog stand off of that tree that's 10 or 15 yards away. And we're going to sit them remote, assuming your dog is steady. We're going to put that dog over there on that timber stand. Place is the command that gets him there. Once he knows where that desired place is, and you start off with, like like Ali said, a pet cot or a bed, or then you start to graduate to different different items. And when they get old enough to uh, to get up onto a timber stand or a marsh stand or on a mow marsh or whatever it is you're using, place can be used all throughout that that dog's career. If I'm going to go to the park and push the kids on the swing, I want to put the, the dog on place on the park bench so that I know that I don't have to take my eyes off of what it is that I'm doing. Yeah. Same thing in the house. If I'm cooking and I've got three different meals or, or parts of the meal going on the stove simultaneously, and if I take my eyes off for too long, it's going to burn. I want the dog on place so yeah. that I know that the, he's not sneaking off, getting into mischief, stealing stuffed animals, eating army guys down the hallway. Yeah. And another one that I hear a lot, and I've said this, is down. I've told you this, baby. I don't I don't teach down. I don't teach down. I don't need down. Mm. Now I'm I'm quite the uh quite the fan of it. And and you know, with the with the the popularity of different dog hides, and now I'm speaking from a gun dog, uh, more specifically a waterfowler's perspective. A dog that knows down is um and, and and will go into a downstay and stay there. And now downstay is a lot different than just using the stake of man before somebody tries to nitpick this apart. But a dog that'll go into a downstay. I don't like dog hides. I don't believe in them. Um I've used them, but it's just one more thing that I have to carry into the field and it's one more freaking thing that I have to brush in, in the mornings. I do not believe in dog hides. If my dog is steady and he is sitting there not causing a problem and he's not creating a ruckus. I have killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ducks with a dog just sitting out next to the blind or sitting remote over on that timber stand or laying down next to me in a goose field. Um, I have hunted snow geese with a dog 
in a white vest or even a white t-shirt laying down in a downstay at my left side, not bothering a thing. So a dog that will go into a downstay for people that don't like to teach down, that's another thing you may consider it. It, it can be very, very useful in certain, in certain applications when you're in, um, when you're in the duck woods or if you're in the, if you're in a goose field or something like that. Or so, if I take my dog to my kid's soccer game and my dog is like, oh my gosh, there's a ball. It's moving all around. I want to go get it so bad. If I put my dog in a sit, well, what do I do with my dog whenever it's looking for marks? I put it in a sit. So if I put my dog in a down, which is a more submissive position, a dog takes on the mindset of the position that they're in and down being submissive, they will understand faster and it will communicate to them more effectively that you are at no point going to be released to go over there and chase that soccer ball. So you might as well just give it up now. But it's all about balance, you know. Yeah. So if you're really heavy handed in the way that you teach a down and reinforce a down, you're going to end up with a dog that that automatic downs to show submission. But if you are balanced and you use positive reinforcement and you use your tone with your dog, that's not going to be an issue for you. (laughs) So I'm over here comparing, um, you know, using these commands in in a in a in a hunting application, and then we've gone to the soccer field. So what I'll do is I'll blend these two. So for you moms and dads that go hunting before your kids' fall soccer game in the afternoon. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because the best kind of dog is a great hunting dog and it's a great pet and family companion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Joseph Langdon said it at, uh, in in the red dirt ranchito episode. First, first and foremost, he is a, um, he's a family dog first. He's a hunting dog second. And he is a, a ribbon chaser last. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about stay. Yeah. Or not. (laughs) So in relation to adult dogs, um, stay is an invisible command, okay? A dog knows what a down feels like. It feels like my elbows and my belly on the ground. A dog knows what a sit feels like. It feels like my butt on the ground. A dog knows what a place feels like. It feels like all four of my feet on this place with clearly defined edges and borders. But what does a down, or um, excuse me, what does a stay feel like? Well, it feels different based on what the primary command is. Therefore, in my opinion, um, it is confusing to teach stay because stay is an invisible command. Now, with puppies, the reason that we don't teach stay is because developmentally, they don't have the skills yet to practice contradictory concepts. And that would be, I'm under control, I'm in a stay, but I'm also supposed to simultaneously genuinely engage with you and be myself. I'm supposed to watch this thing fall from the sky and be engaged and interested in it, but I'm also supposed to be using my self-control to maintain the position that I'm in. And and dogs, adolescents under the age of six months just don't have um, the ability to do contradictory commands. Right. So, um, you know, the adolescent puppy training world has really had some um, adjustments come in the last couple of years, and it's a common practice amo- amongst most trainers um, that they say, if, if I could do it all over again, I would, I would establish very minimal, if any, control. Um, and why is that important? 
um, exploration versus control is what I call it. So if I put a lot of control on my puppy and I'm really asking it to sit and stay on the retrieve or sit and stay um, just in obedience training, because my adolescent dog doesn't have the mental capacity to work on contradictory commands, every single bit of his mental energy is going to be focused on me, is going to be focused on maintaining this control command. And he's not going to be looking at what's going on around him. He's not going to be observing people. He's not going to be observing noises. He's not going to be watching all the new stimuli that's going on. And so what happens is when that dog is six, seven, eight months old and has gone through more advanced obedience training and now walking at heel is second nature, and I can do that with using only about 15% of my brain power, the other 65, 75, 85% is going to looking at the basketball player, looking at the um, the Polaris that's driving over there, you know, looking at the kids swinging on the on the swing set, looking at looking at the guy with the big, crazy loud lawnmower, right? And if you're if your eight, seven, eight, nine month old dog has never paid attention to those things before, it's terrifying because I've never observed that. So it's really, really important that in those first six months of life, we want to place the primor- pr- primary emphasis on exploration and very, very minimal emphasis on control. And as our dog turns six months of age, we can then transition that and start to ask for more control with minimal exploration. But that's that's effectively the concept of of free shaping is allowing your your dog to make a lot of their own decisions and using positive reinforcement to encourage them to make the decisions that you want. So you're talking about the dogs making the decisions that you want them to make. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that's like, well, I'm I'm gonna make this dog make this decision that I want them to make. Okay. And I, I feel like that that evil word pressure. Pressure always comes into play. Well, just, you know, I'm going to give them some pressure here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the threshold of pressure. Um, the, the, the threshold of pressure increases with repetitions. Break that down for me. And then, at, you know, what the level of pressure matches the level of the infraction. Rody mentioned, right. Rody talked about, um, I looked this up. It was, uh, it was a buzzer that he was talking about using. Um, and it's got different levels in it. it. It buzzes at different pitches, lengths and levels based on the level, um, that he's using, how long, um, what else did he say? Yeah. It basically allows people that are in that training group to hear and hear to, to hear, um, what he's doing, with what he's doing with that e-collar, you know, what, what kind of correction. So if it's uh, if it's a minor infraction, and he delivers a correction, they can hear that. Right. Whether or not it's it's a big correction, a small correction, you know, somewhere in between there. So the threshold of pressure increases with repetition and the level of pressure matches the level of infraction. Right. Yeah. So obviously we're not not talking about e-callers with this because we're talking about adolescent puppies. Well, you, but yeah, I love, just, it was just an yes, example. No, I love how you um, use that to transition. So... Um, if my puppy commits a minor infraction, uh, such as, 
such as they pick up a toy that they're not supposed to have and try to carry it off. No, that's not yours. Come here, please. Come here. Thank you. Here's your toy. It's a it's a very minor correction. I I pinch their lips to their teeth to take the item out of their mouth and then I hand them whatever toy it is that they're supposed to have. Now, jumping on me is going to get a little bit more intense. So, right. you know, initially when they start jumping on me, you know, I may just turn my body away. I may try to avoid it. And then over time, as they continue to make this mistake, my level of correction is going to rise as the level of infraction continues. So this next time, I'm going to bop them on the top of their head, and it's a non-emotional correction, and I just turn and walk away as if nothing ever happened. And now let's say that this has become a major issue, this jumping, and they're jumping on my elderly father, and I'm afraid that they're going to knock him down and hurt him. Eventually, as this behavior continues, it's going to become a whap right on the top of the head um, to where my dog goes, oh, shoot, that was not fun. I don't think I want to do that anymore. So I'm going to start out with a low level of pressure. And as they continue to do this undesired behavior, I'm going to raise the level of pressure. Now, there's going to be situations where I go straight to maximum pressure. For example, we're on the leash and we're walking and we're passing another dog on the sidewalk and my dog lunges and aggressively barks. I'm going to go for a pretty high, probably level eight out of 10 correction for that because I want to be super clear that this is never an acceptable behavior. That dog did nothing to you and there's no reason for you to respond that way. If I, in that situation, let the level of pressure go from low to high, by the time I get to high level pressure, this is going to be an ingrained behavior. And then I'm going to be fighting this for the rest of the dog's life. So major infractions get major corrections right away. Uh, Mid-level stuff, low-level stuff, the level of um, correction rises to match the level of infraction or the more times that the dog or puppy does this infraction. I got you. So I've uh, I've mentioned Chica a couple of times this evening, and then you have met, you've brought up Eris, who again is Chica's litter mate. We've talked quite a bit about this about overbonding and litter mate syndrome. And 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 lit, yeah, litter mate what? Litter mate syndrome. Litter mate syndrome. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot of people will get, you know, two puppies from the same litter, and basically, oh just, my gosh, I've had so many people call me and say, oh, yeah. I was told that you should get two litter mates. It's the best that it's ever going to be. They're going to be so great. Yeah. So explain to us why that is just opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I like to say that dogs speak Doganese and we speak English. Doganese is going to be their natural method of communication. So a dog who's allowed to spend the majority of its time with another dog is going to overbond to that dog because Doganese comes naturally to them. So if I have someone here who I can speak Doganese with constantly and don't have to learn an alternate language, why would I want to invest a lot of time and energy into learning English to communicate with the humans when I can just Doganese and get my emotional social needs met consistently with you because we speak the same language? Right. But then you get into litter mates who they think the same, they like to play the same, they have the same energy levels. 
I found that when I would produce a litter of puppies and get the majority of them back for training, that you'd look out in the airing yard and that litter of puppies would all be playing together in the same style. And the other dogs who were unrelated to them would be sitting there and watching um, because they genetically are so similar. So you take dog and ease and you multiply it by 10 whenever you have two litter mates. A lot of people, and this is something that I'm constantly talking my clients out of, is um, they believe that (laughs) their older dog is going to raise their puppy and teach it the ways of the world, and it's going to be a great dog because the older dog raised it, and that is simply not true. Your younger dog, um, when they get older, they can learn through watching other dogs' behaviors. But again, developmentally for those first six months of life, um, their ability to problem solve is somewhat limited. And so they don't observe other dogs and go, hmm, he never jumps on the humans. Maybe I should not jump on the humans. That's just not something that's going to ever happen. Um, So if you allow the older dog and the younger dog to spend too much time together, The younger dog never makes an attempt to figure out how to speak English and how to please you and make you happy and work with you and for you because he can get all of his social and emotional needs met with the other dog. So how we address that is it's very simple. Um, We just give them time apart while one is in the backyard. The other one is loose and free in the house and hanging out with us. While one dog is in the crate, the other one is loose and free hanging out with us. You know, while one dog is on place, the puppy is loose and free and hanging out with us. And we alternate. You know, we talked earlier about how puppies need to have nap times throughout the day for physical and emotional development. I feel that. So while the puppy's napping, let the adult dog be loose and free and get get its social emotional needs met. Bring the puppy out. Give it 20 minutes in the backyard maybe with the adult dog to go potty and have a good time. Bring the adult dog in and put it in your bedroom so it can go take a nap for a little while and let the puppy be loose and free. The dogs don't have to be separated all the time, but the dogs definitely should not be together all the time either. Well, and another thing on that too, um, I had heard Miss Kristen Best on another podcast. This has been some time back, you know, a few years back that um, litter mates that are raised together essentially will end up trading places later down the road. So if you have a, if you have a pair of litter mates and one is real, you know, kind of carefree and laid back, or I don't remember exactly how she put it. It's been too more long. submissive. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe more submissive. And then you've got, you've got a little asshole in the bunch who's, who's he's dominant. Once they get older, a lot of times those, uh, those litter mates will switch places. Now, I wish that I'd listened to this before Rip and Tegan came into the picture. Mm-hmm. I'd never given this a second thought. I got Tegan. Mikey brought Rip to me. Littermates. Littermates. And they weren't kenneled together. Like they didn't spend every waking moment together, mm-hmm. but they were together just enough. And at that time, Tegan would run around and he was very, I mean, Tegan was a cock at a walk and he knew it. He knew it. He would, he would run around at high head and high tail, just a, just a dominant little bastard with no, without a care in the world. And Rip was very insecure and, and he, he just was opposite. And now, now Tegan's a jackass and, (laughs) and, and just, and Rip is confident. He's trainable, you know, and they've, they've just flopped. Well, look at Aris and Chica. I was, yeah. yeah. Chica 
temperament tested as our service dog candidate and she was into so much trouble mm. in the beginning yeah. we were like oh my gosh why do we keep this i one? should have named her Bruja. <laughs> and then you had eris who was the little therapy dog candidate she was sweet, the sweet and gentle girl. Yeah. and emotional and now you have chica who feeds off of emotion and is calm and wants to sit in your lap and snuggle and you have eris who wants to do zoomies yeah, Eris is a red Tasmanian devil. I need to get this baby a job. <laughs> you give me the word, honey, and I'll give her a job. She'll start picking up ducks and she can go up to Oh, the... she's going to pick up ducks. Don't you worry about it. I'm talking wild ducks. Okay. <laughs> Take them Twisted Sisters up to Oklahoma with me and see what they're made of. There you go. So we've gone over a... Smattering. A smatter, smattering. That, that a girl. <laughs> You've embraced it. Mm -hmm. Okay. A, a whole mess of topics and ideas, but none of this is possible without the right nutrition. And, you know, Miss Ashland and, and, and Miss Allie talked about this at length on their canine nutrition episode. Um, you know, but, but since we're kind of focusing on adolescent puppy age, I'll echo myself and say again that what goes into these dogs' bodies from day one until day last is vital, absolutely vital. Uh, it's imperative to their physical growth, to their mental growth, to every, every, and everything that is growth to a puppy. Break down for us. And, and, and I know I say let's kind of stay out of the bitty puppies. But why don't you go ahead and start from when you go into solid foods at about what four-ish weeks, mm -hmm. four-ish weeks up to up through that adolescent stage. And I'm going to tell you before she starts, I'm jealous of some of the meals that these freaking puppies eat. <laughs> so I love to bake sweet potatoes, carrots, and fresh blueberries, um, and blend those up and put them in the food. Yeah. Now I don't always start that at four weeks because their little tummies aren't ready for it. Right. Um, I do purchase um, baby oatmeal like you would mm -hmm. put in a bottle for an infant. And I mix that in because it's fortified with DHA, which if you listen to our nutrition podcast with Ashlyn, you understand why that's really important. Um, and it's also super easy for them to digest. Yeah. Um, and so I make a mix of uh, blended, soaked in water, blended dog food, um, I also add Greek yogurt for good probiotics. Probiotics are amazing. If you haven't used them before, you want to for sure with every stage of life for your dog. Um, I typically feed a particular puppy food that um, I'm not going to name it, but um, they pre-steam the meats and vegetables and before they go through the cooking process to become kibble. And so this just makes the dog food a lot easier to digest. And I keep most of my puppies on that dog food until they're about four to five months of age. But unfortunately, this particular brand has a lot of phytoestrogens because they use peas as a primary ingredient. So especially for my females, I will go ahead and switch over to a my favorite, my go-to Purina Pro Plan um, whenever they're about five months old. And it's really important, again, uh, based on our conversation with Ashlyn, to do that very slowly. Um, if we have a quick switch in the fat and protein content, this can stunt a, a dog's growth. Um, there's a really, really amazing um, 
article that uh, another reason that I love Purina is because they're all about um, nutrition and research. And they did this amazing study. Um, we're going to have to link it in the comments um, where they took like 12 litters of Labrador Retriever puppies and they fed one what they called the full amount and they fed the other one a restrict restricted feeding amount, which was like 75% of what the first litter was eating. And they did hip and elbow x-rays throughout their lifespan. And ultimately what they found was that the dogs who were fed the full, all of the dogs in the study eventually developed hip dysplasia. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, but the dogs who were fed the full amount on average developed hip dysplasia around six years of age. And the dogs who were um, fed the restriction diet on average developed it around 12 years of age. And they found that the dogs who were on the restriction diet lived about two years longer consistently in the study. And so what this leads us to conclude is that puppy food in particular is almost overloaded with nutrition. There's a lot in there. Um, we know through studies that dogs don't grow consistently. They grow in length, then width, then height, yeah. then length, then width, then height. So if we have a puppy who is overweight, it is going to grow denser and thicker bones to accommodate that weight. If you have a dog or a puppy or an adolescent puppy who is lean, it is going to to not grow in height because, you know, of bone density. It's not going to grow in bone density because of height. Um, and so you can legitimately control how big your dog is going to be based on how you feed it during puppyhood. Um, so this is super beneficial to my service dog clients who, you know, a mo mobility dog, we need it to be taller and have a denser bone mass because it needs to be doing a lot of pulling. It needs to be tall enough um, for stability purposes for the person to be able to reach out and grab it. And so for um, a dog that we want to do mobility with, we're going to almost overfeed that dog and it's going to cause it to grow taller and thicker and have a denser bone mass um, than it would, you know, genetically. It's also relevant that if you want a field dog, I would absolutely restriction feed it and go on the on the side of caution and go with less versus more um, because with not as dense of bones and not as much height, you're not going to risk joint injury like you would in a dog that's been overfed with confirmation dogs. I had a pup that um, I fed him a great deal of food because I wanted him to do well in confirmation and have dense bones. And he ended up being an inch taller than both his mom and dad. And that was just based on the amount that I fed him for his first year of life. Um, also, something that we talked about in um, Ashlyn's episode was uh, mixing in alternate protein sources. So, um, my our puppies are happy little suckers mm -hmm. <laughs> um they get a healthy dose of fish oil with every meal um and they also get currently i'm doing uh lamb lung strips um salmon strips and um duck and sweet potato meatballs um and then a turkey um wet food that I mix in with all of their meals. So they're eating a chicken-based dog food with lamb, salmon, duck, 
and turkey mixed in. So uh, lots of different protein sources, and that decreases the risk of developing allergies later on in life or food, I should say food sensitivities, since as we discussed in that episode, true allergies are pretty rare. Right. Um, but the big one, the super, super important one is salmon oil. I put that in every single meal because it's really helpful for the DHA in brain development. Um, and it's also really helpful for eye and joint health as well, long term. Every single one of our dogs gets salmon oil every day. Well, talking about supplements and supplementing, um, when do you usually, we talked about this in Ap- Ashland's episode, when do you usually start uh, adding phytovite? Um, I start adding phytovite in their gruel at four weeks of age. Their gruel, okay. So I meant to say this during that episode. For those that don't know, just break down what gruel is. Um, it's basically dog food that's uh, um, a mush mixture, mixture right. a mush texture, right. um, because these puppies don't have fully developed teeth yet. And so it's their first meal that they're eating that's solid outside of their mom's milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one that is typically I soak puppy food and then run it through the blender, add lots and lots of water. I also will add goat's milk because goat's milk is very similar to a mother's milk in um nutrient content. Um, So I'll add goat's milk to that. I do add the phytovite because it is essential vitamins and minerals that every dog needs in its diet. It also has glucosamine and chondroitin in it. And so studies show that it is beneficial for joint health whenever added in um, to the puppy's gruel. Sometime, well, I'll definitely, I love probiotics. I'm a huge believer in probiotics. So um, Greek yogurt is something that I always throw in there. And then once they get a little bit older, I'll start to mix in some sweet potato and blueberries because those are antioxidants. Um, sweet potatoes, I think, have the highest antioxidant content um, for dogs that there is out there. And so just a couple sweet potatoes blended up in the blender. Um, and Boy, do they love it. I was fixing to say they go absolutely insane over it. Oh, and the, um, I mentioned this earlier, but the baby oatmeal right. that you can buy with the baby food because it's fortified with DHA. Right. Now, you mentioned that you, you'll soak the food and then put it in the blender. Now, we're still soaking uh, puppy food even at seven months old. Now, we're talking about soaking, not floating. Right. There is a difference. When you float food, you run the risk of bloat. Right. I know there's a lot of people that do that. I'm not knocking you guys. I'm just saying you do run a risk of bloat. You want to kind of elaborate on the soaking versus floating? Sure. Yeah. So soaking is putting water on the food and letting it sit for five to 10 minutes and the food absorbs the water. And this is a really cool process because if you look at the food, you'll notice all these bubbles in it. Those are the bubbles, the gas bubbles that get released by the food that if you feed your dog dry kibble, those are the gas bubbles that are being created inside of its stomach. So when you watch that, you're like, oh my goodness, bless your heart, baby. That's what causes bloat. Yep. Part of what causes bloat. Part of what causes bloat. Yes, definitely. Um, So I do soak the food. I soak the food for my mamas who are pregnant. I soak their food whenever they're nursing. And I soak the food for the puppies probably for the first seven to eight months of life. And that's just because I'm feeding them two to three times a day and I'm, I'm, I want them. Okay. Let me rewind. Dry kibble takes 16 hours to digest in the stomach and soaked kibble takes four hours to digest in the stomach. So 
if you soak the food, you're you're basically pre-digesting the food for the dog. So all it has to do is go into their stomach and they absorb the vitamins and minerals and nutrients without having to break it down. Yeah. And so that's why I soak for pregnant mamas, nursing mamas, and puppies. Um, Long term, you don't always want to soak um, because the hard kibble is very important for dental health. Um, but anytime that I'm traveling or on the road, I always soak the food because in my experience, most of the people that I know who floss dogs from bloat, it's been due to travel stress. It's almost always whenever they're on the road. So I always soak my adult dog's food whenever they're on the road. Now, floating the food is different because that's just adding water to the food. And so typically the dogs will drink all of the water that's in the bowl so that they can then access the dry food. So you're putting a whole lot of water and dry kibble, which takes 16 hours for the stomach to digest and is going to produce a whole bunch of gas whenever right. it hits water. So floating the food, in my humble opinion, probably sets your dog up for bloat more right. than just eating straight kibble. Whereas soaking the food um, decreases your risk of bloat dramatically. And I guess the idea behind floating is added hydration. Yes. But when you can you, achieve the same you, the, thing through, through soaking soaked because food. the body's going to process that moisture just like it would if the dog was drinking the water. Right. So again, food for thought. These are, these are some tips or mm, tricks, tricks and tactics, if you will, that, that, that we use for our dogs that Allie has seen a lot of success in. And we can't say that they're always going to be 100% successful. Right. You know, you can soak a dog's food and still get bloat. Right. But the goal is to try to head it off at the pass and prevent it before it happens. Yeah. And and, and the risk of bloat essentially is, is torsion. Yes. Is stomach torsion. Right. Which is so dangerous for a dog. Well, it's the kind of thing that by the time you realize it's going on and you yeah. rush to the vet, Maybe they can do surgery, but the chances of surviving at that point are slim to none. Right. After you've paid for a $13,000 surgery. Right. So, well, uh, we're about out of time, but I kind of hate to end it on that note. So. <laughs> <laughs> puppies are awesome. Puppies are the greatest. We yeah. love puppies. Adolescent puppies are so fun. I feel like a lot of people... And you've talked about this a lot. A lot of people are like, because you've been in this boat. <laughs> People are like, oh, I don't want to do the adolescent puppy stage because I can't learn anything formal yet and it's no fun. And I just want to get to the formal training so that we can do force fetch and they can start running field marks and they can do handling and ah. When in actuality, who your dog is going to be when it is handling, when it is force fetching, when it is doing all of the important stuff for the next 10 to 12 years, all of that is established during that adolescent puppy stage. Hang on. Let me let me crawl from under this bus you just threw me under. Hang on a minute. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. First of all, <laughs> yes, would I love to jump into formal training and get through formal fetch? And uh, I'm going to go ahead and echo Kristen there. Formal fetch and uh, get into the, the field marks and the fun stuff. You're damn right. But taking a raw ball of energy, just, just, flat energy we're lab people so Allie is known as allison the lab lady 
I guess buff now, mm-hmm. but most most people know her as Allie Sutton. But uh, so we're lab people. But so to take that raw energy that Labrador puppies bring to the table and to go through the puppy stages like Chica, I, I talk about Chica a lot because she's my puppy. I love her to death. I'm super impressed with how quickly she's picking up on things, but I'm not rushing her. I'm not asking too much of Chica prematurely. We're going through the stages. I'm allowing her to be a puppy. And I encourage that. Allow them to be puppies. Let them be kids. Make it fun. Be consistent. Be fair. Make it fun. And it it, it pays. Let them explore the world. Yes. Yes. It, it, it pays off in the end. Don't rush them. We can always take a wild puppy and put structure on it. Right. But if you bring us a fearful not competent puppy, it's it's a whole lot more work to try to build them up and turn them into the dog that they need to be. Yeah. We would much rather bring you bring us a wild, a wild puppy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you may end up with a river who before three years old, she's, you know, four-time grandmaster point retriever in the APLA and a master hunter and a hunting retriever champion, all that good stuff. And that's great. If your dog can play the games, then go play the games. If the dog will take the training, then then go progress with your puppy, but don't rush them. Let them be a puppy. Let them experience life as a puppy, and let the puppy work be fun. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't put uh, don't put a lot of rules on it. You or know, pressure or pressure. I guess that's a better word is pressure. Minimal, if any, pressure. Exactly, and um, and don't stress over it, guys. It's supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. Let it be fun. If you let it be fun for yourself, it's going to be fun for that puppy. And eventually, eventually that's going to, that's going to pay big. It's going to be huge dividends in the end. But with that, we're about out of time. So some more reminders. What is going on in there? I don't know. Sounds like puppies. puppies. I'm pretty sure it's Eris or Chico playing with their food bowl to let us know it's time to go out and potty. Yeah, that's puppies. They're in there slamming food bowls against the, uh, against the crate. But uh, just a reminder, guys, this weekend is Alamo Retriever Club's HRC test in Kyle, Texas. Come see us. Please come see us. There ain't no need for DMs. You can just come see me in person. Let's talk. Um, You have some of the best fried catfish that you ever had. Ever. And then on Saturday, my good buddy, Mr. John Kennebrew, is coming in all the way from Midland, Texas, to grill some of the best steaks y'all have ever put in your mouth. I promise you, you will not be disappointed and mr kennebrew himself is uh quite the character you'll enjoy his company i I, I, we need to have him on the podcast they're not ready they're not ready (laughs) they're not ready they're not ready for john kennebrew not not (laughs) not even a little bit but uh but yeah so this weekend is uh alamo's hrc test i am flipping pumped i'm ready don't forget (laughs) you can bring your wine and your whiskey and your beers they just can't open till after the last dog. Runs. I still say it's unfortunate. We don't make the rules. We just follow them. Yeah, we'll mm-hmm. go with that. Yep. Anyway, so yeah, come out and see us, man. Come out and see me uh, hang out with me behind the hall. I'll be back there cooking. Me and my good buddy, Mr. Drew. Drew Schiller is going to be out there and he'll have his uh, his legend puppy, Miss Reese, is going to be in started. And then uh, Allie's going to be down there marshalling. Um, Zach's going to be all over the place. I'm going to be everywhere. I tried to bring a mini bike. I wanted y'all to see a fat guy on a mini bike, but uh, I didn't get to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Brian College Station's AKC test is Wednesday. 
March 1st. March 1. Uh, entries are closed, but go out there and check it out. See what it's all about. A lot of good people in that club. Uh, nothing else. Go out there and learn a little bit. Um, meet some folks and just get into the game. Brazos- if, you're, if you're not sure what game you want to get into, maybe you're thinking about Hunt Test, check out the Heart of Texas Try It Day. Yeah. Yeah. Hunt testing is going to be one of the things for 30 bucks. You walk up and see how your dog does. And if your dog doesn't love it, you have four other things, five other things, a smattering of other things (laughs) that you can try. Yes. That try it day is uh, April 20th in Giddings. It looks like, um, excuse me. So yeah. So Brad's support retriever clubs, AKC test, uh, hunt test and owner handler qual is the weekend of March 8th. They will have the qual, the junior, senior, and master, uh, those entries close on Monday, the 26th. So y'all get into entry express, check that out, get entered. If you want to go and participate, browser support will also be having a midweek master test on March 12th. That is pending as of now. So keep eyes open on that. Uh, Waterloo retriever club. Uh, their test is March 15th. Uh, they will also have an uh, owner handler qual double junior. So you got a chance to get two, uh, junior passes there. Uh, senior and a master that closes March 4th. Lost Pines midweek master is March 19th. And then shout a, out to Rody and Kristen. Shout out Rody and Kristen Best. And hey, we're going to have them back on. I think we're recording with them nice. next week. So um, stay that, tuned. Yeah. So that I think we're going to get into a little bit more on formal Horse fetch. fetch. Formal, formal, formal fetch. fetch. Sorry. I'm telling Kristen. <sighs> Don't wrap me out. <laughs> you rolled me up under the bus a minute ago. <laughs> And Rody's going to talk about transition in the field. Yes. Yeah, they are. That That is a team of trainers that I love to talk to, if y'all couldn't tell, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, we're excited to have them back on. And we will be recording on site at the Hunt Test this weekend. So stay uh, stay tuned and, uh, and listen in for that episode to drop. Uh, where did I leave off? Okay, I was coming up, to, coming up to Alamo AKC Test uh, is March 22nd, we will have an owner handler qual, a master senior, and a single junior. And then Heart of Texas Retriever Club in Moody, Texas is March 30th. They'll have a master senior and a junior. So y'all stay tuned, man. Just hang in there with us and uh, you know, keep listening in. We appreciate y'all support. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcast, and of course, as always. You can slide into our DMs if you have a request for something that you want to hear us talk about, or if you think you have something that you'd love to be on the podcast to talk about, we want to talk to you. So come to the hunt test, slide into our DMs, keep listening. We appreciate you guys. 